Hello and welcome to this podcast from Le Monde Diplomatique. My name is George Miller, and each month I interview one of the contributors to the paper. In this first podcast of 2010, my guest is Michael Clare, who's Professor of Peace and World Security Studies at Hampshire College in Amherst, Massachusetts. In his article in this month's edition of the paper, Michael assesses how the Obama administration has conducted foreign policy in its first year in office. If we look beyond the disappointments that have been expressed over Obama's stance over, say, Afghanistan, China or Israel, are there signs that the US is coming to terms with a changing world order by deploying so-called smart power? We'll come to that question shortly, but I began by asking Michael Clare to tease out some of the key elements which have led to a climate of disappointment as the Obama administration reaches its first anniversary. Well, you have to distinguish between the areas of actual disappointment, areas where people feel he let us down, and the fact that we had such high expectations of Obama that he was going to accomplish miracles overnight. And of course, nobody could do that under the present circumstances. So naturally, we feel disappointed that he didn't achieve miracles. So it's some of both. And it's important to understand that. For example, many people thought that he would be able to persuade or coerce the Israeli government to cease settlements in the West Bank and and achieve great success in Israeli-Palestinian relations. Well, that's something that no American president has succeeded in achieving, um, and Obama wasn't able to do that either, so there was disappointment there. I think for people in the United States, especially among people in the peace movement who supported him early on, the big disappointment is around Afghanistan. There was a feeling that uh, he would not escalate the American troop presence in Afghanistan, that that would be a betrayal of the support that people gave him. Mm. And of course, he has decided to escalate the troop presence in Afghanistan, and that's made many people very angry, and, and, and now people who supported Obama are campaigning against him in terms of, you know, trying to put pressure on him or Congress not to support a troop increase. So that's a very big disappointment. Now, you write about the context in which the foreign policy is now being conducted and how that has essentially changed from the days of of George W. Bush. And you say that the hallmark now of American foreign policy is inevitably assertiveness in the face of decline. And I suppose the, the other way of expressing that, maybe a more sort of positive, maybe a more euphemistic way, is smart power. Can you unpick a little bit what, what smart power entails? Smart power is the term that Secretary of State Hillary Clinton has used to describe the approach of the Obama administration. And, and what she means is that we have less power, less resources, less influence than before So we have to use whatever we have more effectively, uh, Mm. more capably. And it means putting less emphasis on sheer power, you know, whether that's military power or economic power, because the United States has less of it. 
and more more emphasis on soft power, persuasion, mm. public public relations, diplomacy, the effectiveness of President Obama himself as a diplomatic agent of the United States. He's very popular abroad, and so just using his popularity as a tool to persuade people, to get people to agree. An example of that would be the Copenhagen Climate Summit, which seemed to be headed for disaster before President Obama arrived and and seemed at the last minute to achieve something. Uh, People debate whether it's useless or not, but at least there's some basis for future negotiations. And this was through persuasion, not by bullying, as had been the practice of the previous administration, the Bush Mm. administration. And I wondered if there were other smart power achievements that you saw in the first year that were perhaps occluded by this sort of atmosphere of disappointment we, we talked about at the beginning. I mean, for example, in China, there was disappointment over failure on the, on the human rights front. But do you think soft power has actually uh, established a, a good working relationship on which later achievements might be built with U.S.-Chinese relations? Yes, I think that President Obama's trip to China was very successful in in many respects. It did get bad press in the United States. Many newspapers, the New York Times, for example, in an editorial review said that it was a very disappointing trip because uh, he didn't speak out on Tibet and because the Chinese refused to give any ground on the issue of Iran, sanctions on Iran. On the other hand, he and President Hu Jintao of China established a framework for U.S.-China relations, which I find quite impressive because it calls for mutual cooperation and consultation on major issues. And you have to Mm. see this in, in context. Never before has a major power on the scale of China risen to world influence without precipitating international conflict. Mm. You know, if you think of the rise of Germany, of the rise of Japan, of the rise of the Soviet Union, this has always led to international friction, crisis, and conflict. And there are many people in the United States who believe especially in the military-industrial complex, that Mm. war with China is inevitable. And in my mind, this is the worst catastrophe that could happen in the 21st century. Clearly, President Obama is determined to prevent that from happening and from allowing a Cold War-like environment to arise. And the framework that he adopted said, we're not going to contain China, we're not going to engage in military competition and antagonism, we're going to embrace China as an equal member of the world community. This is quite audacious and breathtaking, really. In your article, you write about one of the the smart power levers, if you like, being informal means of communication with the general public in countries of, of, of interest. And I wondered if, if you could sort of mention which countries you thought that kind of smart power might actually have some positive effect? I think in the Islamic world, this kind of 
practice has been important. I, I thought that President Obama's visit to Cairo, where he gave a speech on America's relations with the Islamic world, was very important because he expressed the view, his view that that the West and the Islamic world are not destined to be mortal enemies, which, mm. you know, many people in the United States, especially in the Bush administration, thought was the case. The, the notion of the clash of civilizations, yes. Samuel Huntington's view, was widely embraced in Washington during the Bush era. Well, here's the president coming in and saying, no, there is not a clash of civilizations. And speaking at Cairo University and reaching out to the Islamic public, I think that was terribly important. And even though we haven't seen the progress since then on specific issues, I do think it changed the environment, the atmospherics yes. in the Middle East. I mean, do you think that Iran is perhaps going to be the biggest challenge for smart power in the in the months and years ahead? Of course, I think Iran is terribly difficult problem for the Obama administration because the leadership, the current Iranian leadership, seems determined to press ahead with this nuclear enrichment. Plan, which many people think is aimed at acquiring nuclear weapons. Mm. And that leadership itself is under challenge from domestic constituencies, which consider it illegitimate. So I think the leadership, President Ahmadinejad, for, for example, are going to be more incalcitrant than ever to show the, their nationalistic credentials at home. So it's going to be harder than ever before. And I, I think that they're more inclined to provoke the United States into a military response even, or Israel mm. into a military response, because they know, they being the, the Iranian leadership, because they, they believe that that will silence domestic critics of the regime. So they're, I think they're prepared to provoke a clash with the United States, and, and that's the last thing that President Obama wants. Do you think the American people are going to find it very difficult to get used to a country where smart power is really the, the only kind of power that um, they're able to wield? I think this is very hard for the United States, for the American public, because we in this country are so used to being number one. This is the mantra that we've grown up with, that that uh, we, we see as our natural birthright. And if that's taken away from us, it's going to create a lot of hardship. And it's going to be very disconcerting for the American public. I, I think it could lead to uncomfortable behavior. This is where I worry about an anti-China backlash, for example. Mm. As China rises... Uh, there will be those sectors of the population that are, are going to want to punish China. Uh, another aspect that this takes that's deeply troubling is on immigration policy, on U.S.-Mexican relations. 
because th this is very much tied up with American identity as being a European-American, you know, white identity uh, that's under assault from illegal migration. So that issue is becoming very polarized and you going to see, I think, a lot more pressure to keep out illegal migrants, most of them Hispanic people from Mexico mm. and, and South America. So this is a domestic issue, but it also bears on foreign policy and on America's self-image and, yes. and, and the doubts that people are having about, about America's identity in the world. And I suppose if the left is talking the language of smart power, soft power, then that opens up a rhetorical space for the right to fill with the, the discourse of, of hard power. Well, you're quite right. When America is seen to be in decline, it does open up the space for, for those who argue that America isn't being tough enough. And you hear mm. this especially from former Vice President Dick Cheney who is constantly in the airwaves lambasting the Obama administration for mm. not being tougher, not being tougher in Pakistan, not in Afghanistan, not tough enough on Iran. And th these, these are people who think we should spend more on the military and expand the military. Of course, what they're not saying is that the United States is deeply in debt and yeah. the cost of expanding the military would bankrupt the country. And so there really is an economic dimension to this that people don't want to address. But you're right, there will be this pressure on, uh, from some sectors of the population to get tougher abroad and to, to use the big stick instead of soft power. I was talking to Michael Clare about his article in the January 2010 edition of Le Monde Diplomatique entitled U.S. Trans Persuader, Not Policeman. Visit the website at mondediplo.com for full information on this month's paper, as well as information on how to subscribe, which will give you full access to Le Monde Diplomatique's extensive archive. I hope you'll join me again next month when my guest on this podcast will be U.S. journalist Barbara Ehrenreich. Until then, thank you very much for listening, and goodbye. <laughs>